If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3, we'll look at one verse. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For those of you who want to look it up on your iPad, your iPhone, or whatever you may have, or the pew Bible in front of you, but that's NLT, okay? And uh, just uh, kind of get, get kind of where we are. Revelation 3.20. And I want to talk to you about who's knocking. Who's that knocking? I, I don't know. It was, a, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was uh, man having a Diet Coke, watching TV. Life was good. Uh, just come in from playing golf. It was just a great afternoon. And all of a sudden, heard some knocking on the door. Now, I pretty much understand on Saturday afternoon, if it's a knock on the door, it's probably not good. It's either a salesman, which I don't want to buy anything on Saturday afternoon, or it's uh, some religious group that's wanting to talk to me. So I heard the knocking, and I said, oh, great. So I, you know, I cut the TV down, and I went, and I, and I opened the door a little bit, and I saw that it was two guys there, and they were, had a satchel, and I'm going, okay. How y'all doing? Well, we're here. We want to give you this pamphlet. We want to tell you about the kingdom of God. Da, da, da. I got you. Okay. Why don't y'all come on in? Come on in and let's sit down and talk. And they said, okay, great. They were young guys. They're pretty neat. And I said, tell me what you believe, man. They said, well, they, you know, we believe this. And I said, well, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Tell me what you believe about Jesus. Well, he's the son of God. And I said, okay. Well, let me ask you what you really, here's what I, I've heard that you guys believe. Tell me, is it true? And they said, well, yeah, that's true. We believe that. I said, okay. So we talked. I said, well, how do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And we talked for about 30 minutes. I give them some water. And, and uh, I think Charlene brought them some cake. And we just, you know. And finally, there was another knock on the door. There's just one guy. He was older. And, he, and I opened the door and he said, is there two guys in there with you? I said, yeah. He said, they're not supposed to come in your house. I said, well, I invited them in. They came in. You know, they you know, sit down. They're having some water and cake. And uh, I said, well, come on in. He said, well, I'm not supposed to come in. I said, well, come on in anyway. I promise you won't kill you. And, and so he came in, you know, and, and uh, we sit and talked for a while, and they left and whatever. It's amazing. We always want to know who's knocking on the door. And when they come you determine if you're going to let them in or not. Um, you determine, yeah, I think we'll talk a while. I know we won't. There's a picture, a classic picture of Jesus knocking on the door. Now, I want you to notice some things. That is a classic picture. It goes way back. And a lot of your older churches may have this picture somewhere in the auditorium or the building. But I remember it as a young man. Uh, it was a favorite picture for a couple of reasons. Number one, it has powerful meaning. But also, back in the 70s, when I had long hair, that was my reason. People say, why you got long hair? Jesus had long hair. Man, why? Don't get on to me. Jesus had long hair. Uh, I had hair down to here and... And uh, I said, man, if Jesus, I'm trying to be like Jesus. But also, there's something unique because he's knocking on that door. If you would notice the picture, you really can't tell. But it's, uh, there's no door handle on the outside of the door. Meaning the only way that door can be opened is from the inside. And the truth is, when he's knocking on our life, the only way he's going to come in is if we open the door to our life. He's not going to kick it down. He's not going to do that. He's going to be knocking. And you decide if he gets to come in. Revelation 3.20. Look, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone you hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
Man, I love this verse. He's talking to the church at Laodicea. They are not really doing well as they should be. They've kind of become indifferent. Uh, they're, they're not as powerful as they should be in the spiritual realm. And, and there's in the church of Laodicea, there are those who are truly people with a relationship with Christ. And there are those who think they have one and don't. And so the church has kind of become weak because of that. So he's trying to talk to them. And he says, I'm trying to get into your life. I'm trying to get where you are because I don't want to come in and beat you up. I don't want to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I've come to have a meal with you. I don't know about you, but I like eating. And if somebody says to me, let's go eat, I'm saying, where? Man, let's go. I'm ready to go eat. So, so because when we meet and eat, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to talk about golf or the Falcons or the Bulldogs or Uh, we'll talk about some football team. I mean, we'll, we'll talk. We'll have a good time. We'll talk about life, where we've been, uh, because we'll have fellowship. But understanding this passage, Jesus said, I want to come into your life and have a good time with you. I really, really do. You're off by He said, I know what's going on in your life, and a lot of it's not good, but I want to come in and really make a difference in your life. Many people hear Jesus not, but will not open the door. And I found I try to find out why. Why is it people are hesitant to open the door? I know sometimes when I don't want to open the door, I'm not sure about the person on the other side. Or perhaps I don't think I need what they're offering. So let me give you what I believe are the myths that, uh, that people believe over the truth. As, they, as we look at this, uh, people believe a lot of myths over simple truth. And myths are kind of a part of legend and part of how we do life. And, uh, but here's what I want you to get. There's four myths, I think, really get in the way of us opening the door. The first one is this, and that is the, that, that the good life is enough. The good life is enough. Wow. Now, what does that mean? That means that if I live a good life, I can earn a relationship with God by doing good and being nice. I'll be nice to people, I'll be kind to people, I'll be compassionate, I'll be generous, I'll, I'll be mannerly, I'll, I will be good. I'll, I won't lie to people, I won't take advantage of people, and I'll just be a good person. I'm going to help old ladies across the street, I'm going to rescue a dog from the pound, I'm going to be a good person. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get involved in the denomination whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, or a parachurch organization, a campus crusade, or whatever, I'm going to get involved in something. I'll get involved with the Red Cross, or I'll get involved with a lot of things. I'll do something, but I'm going to be good. Well, that's not work. That's not really going to work. It's not enough to be a, a nice person. We're to be a people made new with a new beginning. Uh, some some years ago, a, a group of guys we went uh, went down deep sea fishing, and we invited a guy who who didn't really go to church. And he was a great guy. He was a nice guy. He was a contractor. He was an honest contractor. He did. He was a great guy. A great family man. Good husband. Good yeah, just a good guy. And uh, so we we went uh, we went down to Florida and went out overnight and, and uh, deep sea fishing. Of course, on the out on the ocean, I did a devotion. Devotion on the ocean is pretty neat. And we just talked about things, had a good time. Uh, we, we laughed and cut up and caught fish and had a good time. And uh, old Keith was really kind of, he, he kind of enjoyed being around us. He didn't think he would at first. I mean, you know, we, we kind of scare people sometimes. 
And so he kind of wasn't sure, but he had a good time with us, and, and uh, we talked a little bit, and I'm pretty low-key. I don't, I don't really get on people much, so I, we just had a good time. And, and so he, uh, he was trying to be so good. He, when we got back in, now we've been fishing all day. He said, guys, I'm buying everybody's dinner tonight. I'm thinking, boy, you just don't know what you've done. Son, we got, we're all hungry. And he sure enough, we, took, we went to a nice seafood restaurant. He bought everybody's dinner. He was being nice, being good. But that is not what gets you right with God. Because Keith had to have a moment, uh, later on had a moment in his life where he come, really come to know Christ and really begin to experience the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, and it changed his life. And so the uh, good life is not enough. I know people think it is, but it's not. The second thing is religion fulfills my obligation. If I can be religious, I will meet God's expectations and I'll be okay. Oh, can I tell you what? Religious people scare me. They do. They scare me. uh, Religion is tough. I don't like religion. You say, well, you're a Baptist. I know I'm a Baptist. That's my denomination. But actually, I'm a believer in Christ, which means I have a relationship with Christ. And that, to me, is what is important. Religion is not the deal. Because you can be religious without having a relationship with Christ. You can do all the stuff. You can go to church. And, and people start, they get caught up in the man I want to go. And uh, they're hoping to experience a relationship with God by being involved in church stuff. Can I tell you, religion is a lot like getting a flu shot. You get just enough to keep you from getting the real thing. And that's what happens to a lot of people. Man, they, they're all, they, get, they got enough to kind of feel pretty good about myself. I'm, you know, I'm going to church every Sunday, and sometimes I'm putting money in the plate and going to Sunday school, and, you know, I'm doing better each time, you know. No. I talk to people all the time, and I'll say, look, I don't care if you ever become Baptist, because that ain't going to get you to heaven. But I do care that you know the Lord, because he will get you to heaven. And if you choose to ever come to our church, that's fine. But I want you to know the Lord. And um, we don't need to be church. We need to be changed. The third myth is this. Feelings do not lie. A lot of people think, well, I feel like I'm a believer. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm right with God, so therefore I must be. No, feelings cannot be trusted because feelings are affected by the things you eat, the amount of sleep you get, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your life. Feelings cannot be trusted. Matter of fact, feeling is attached to our emotions. And James Dobson wrote a book called Emotions. Can you trust them? And the answer is no, you cannot. Because they change. It's not enough to, to, to know the, the feelings. Okay? Feelings aren't it. You can, feel good. you can have feel-good moments, emotional experiences. A lot of people have had that. They've had emotional experiences, been baptized, and never met the Lord. Just been... Feel, feel an emotional moment. And they just like being a part of the excitement, but never experiencing faith in Christ. I had a lady one time, she was an atheist. And we'd been in a conversation. She told me right up front, she knew I was a believer. And she said, uh, as far as I was ever in the ministry, it's a long time ago when I worked in, down in Atlanta, Atlanta, down at Rich's downtown. And she knew I was a believer. And she said, look, just going to tell you up front. I don't believe in God. It's okay. I mean, you know, you know it's fine. Yeah, you know, I don't believe in God. It's okay. And then we talked a little longer, and I just, you know, she said, but I want to tell you, I do go to church every Sunday. <laughs> now, that intrigued me. I'm going, okay. So if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't be at church on Sunday morning. 
I'd be sleeping in, going to the golf course, going to get a you know, brunch somewhere. Man, I, you know, I wouldn't be going to church. So I said, tell me why. You have got my curiosity. I know people who believe in God and don't go to church. So tell me why you go to church. And she said, because I like the feeling I get when I'm there. It just feels good. I like the feeling. And of course, that led to the conclusion, well, if you feel something, that's good. But do you ever wonder why that you enjoy the atmosphere? Maybe something's happening out there that you need to really experience in your life by faith. And I asked the question, I said, I know that you're a brilliant person, very smart, you've already told me that, and I, and I appreciate that. I, I value your wisdom and your knowledge and all the things you know. But is it possible, let me ask you, do you know everything there is to know? And, and she says, well, no, nobody does that. I said, then could it be possible that God exists outside your knowledge? Hmm. So maybe you need to, maybe you need to pay more attention. Let's, let's read the book and see what it says. But she was caught up in a feeling. I like the feeling, but I'm, you know, a lot of people have emotional experiences as, as sometimes children or even adults and never meet Christ and never have a relationship with him. And therefore, when, he, when they hear his voice and he's knocking on their life, they don't let him in because they think, well, I just don't, I don't know. Matter of fact, some people wait for a kind of a feeling to even respond to Christ. No, you don't need to do that. You respond to Christ by faith. Now, the fourth myth is I know all about God and Jesus. I know all about him. He is, man, I know all about him. I know about him historically. I know he lived 2,000 years ago, walked around in sandals, had long hair. And I know that, you know, he, people, some people liked him, some didn't. I know that he did a lot of great things. I, I know about him historically. I know he died on a cross, rose from the grave. That's good. Some know about him theologically, meaning I know that he was a sinless son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, man, just an awesome, performed miracles. That's great. But knowing about him doesn't mean you know him. I know about a lot of people, and I don't know them. I can read books about people and their biographies and autobiographies, but I don't know these people. We think we got this head knowledge. I know the answers. And it never gets to hear where it changes my heart, my life. Um, the inner me. The one that has great value before the kingdom. So here's what I know. Myths never open the door. As long as you believe the myth, you'll never do that. But here's the truth that will change your life. Faith opens the door. It's faith. Now, it's real simple, but it's not easy. It's simple. I simply do what? What is it I'm supposed to believe? Well, you believe what God has to say about you. And God says this about you. In Romans 3.23, it says that you're a sinner. Matter of fact, all of us are sinners. All of us. Me, you, Billy Graham, we're all sinners. We're born that way, have a sinful condition. And only when Christ, the reason Christ came down the cross was to deal with our condition, to change our status and our standing before God. And in so doing, he says that we need a Savior. And what he says about us is you're a sinner. And what he says about Jesus is he's the Savior. He's the one who died on the cross. And the one who's knocking on your life's door is the one who died for you. And he wants to come and be a part of your life. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have enjoyment with you. He wants to be a part of your good days and your bad days. 
bring you a peace that passes understanding. Here's what I know as I look at this. Two things I want you to get. The first one is this. When you open that door, you get to enjoy God's forgiveness and love. That's all he wants to do is forgive you and love you. I mean, that's, what, that's, what he's, that's why he's knocking. He wants to forgive you. The well-known secular humanist and novelist in England, uh, Marganita Lasky, as an atheist, here's what she said before she died in 1988. In- incredible statement. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. You see, what God offers us in the person of Christ is forgiveness. Forgiveness is pretty important. It's letting go of your debt. It's, it's making things right. It's, it's, it's incredible what happens when forgiveness takes place. Do you know, to me, the most important thing in a golf club is it's forgiveness. I mean, I, I, when I go by clubs, I'm going, is it forgiven? That's the one thing I want to know. Is it going to hit the ball far? And is it forgiven? You're probably wondering, well, why do you need forgiveness in a golf club? You've, obviously, some of you have never seen me play. But I need forgiveness in a golf club. And, and, and let me tell you, and what I've discovered, the most unforgiving club in my bag is my putter. It just is tough, man. It ain't got no, ain't no forgiveness in that thing. If you don't line up right, you're going to miss. If you push it, you're going to miss. If you pull it, you're going to miss. Whatever you do wrong is magnified and it doesn't work. But you know what's really neat? When you're on the green and you got a putt like this, and the guy you're playing with says, that's good. That's good. That's an act of grace usually when people are playing with me. That's good. You know, when, you know the whole purpose of Jesus knocking on your door? Is to come in and say, hey, it's good. It's good. It's good. You ain't got to make that. I've made that for you. I, I, I've already done all you need to do. I've already done for you in the cross. It's accomplished. It's done. Quit trying. Just enjoy me. That's forgiveness. And the love of God, because he cares for us and values us, he wants to do that in our life more than anything else. Do you know why we love God? We love God because in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is one of my favorite verses. I, I, I learned this young. When I was young, I learned this verse. I was intrigued by the fact that God loved me first. Hey, I, 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 guys, I'm, I've been around a long time now, and I realize I don't deserve a lot. I certainly don't deserve God's love and grace, but I, I'm glad he gives it. And, and um, I'm just one beggar telling another beggars where they can find bread. Man, I, I, I'm not better than anybody else. But here's what I do know. Man, he loved me first. Isn't that something about when somebody loves you first? That just kind of, man, just makes you realize he loves us first. When I was not worthy of it, when I didn't deserve it, he loved me first.
You can't do anything to make him love you more, and you can't do anything to make him love you less. He loves you perfectly. And we love him because we love him because we finally realize he's knocking on the door because he wants to love us and save us from our sin and forgive us of our failure. And then we go, yes. And I'm never alone ever again. Ever. Ever. You can, you can never experience and enjoy God's forgiveness and love until you open your life to him. That just can't happen. Secondly, you can experience God's life of power and purpose when you let him in. People say, well, I, you know, I would like to be a follower of Christ, but I can't live out that life. I'm not, I just can't do that. Well, none of us can. But when he comes in to, to have fellowship with us, he begins to give us some, some power to do things differently and to believe him and to trust him and to follow him. And you say, well, what is the deal? What is it? When you open the door, what do you do? You finally surrender. You quit keeping him on the outside. You, quit, keep, you stop telling him no. You say, come on in. I'm ready. There's a pastor who was a great pastor at Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga on TV for many years, great guy. Uh, he came to do lectures at seminary in New Orleans, and he shared his story of how he was saved. And he was an atheist, didn't believe in God, and then uh, his mother kept praying for him and talking to him, and, and so just kind of to please her, he, he went to church, and he was sitting in the men's Sunday school class, and and, and uh He'd been wrestling with this for some time about trusting Christ, but he would be resistant. He would say no, and then here's his moment of surrender. In a Sunday school class, looking at the teacher but not hearing a word the teacher said, he finally said, if you want me, you got me. Here I am. And Christ came into his life. He became a great pastor and an awesome, awesome impact in Chattanooga. When you open the door, he comes in and does that which only he can do and basically rearrange our lives. You say, well, do you, how do you, is it good? Well, yeah, I'm having the time of my life, guys. Man, I enjoy life. Oh, there's days that's tough. There's times that it's hard. Sometimes there's bad news out there. But I'm never alone. Jesus wants to Feel the emptiness of your life and deal with the uncertainties in your life. Just open the door. The one who died for you is the one who's knocking. I believe the most important decision we ever make is trusting Christ. That's what I do with my life. Try to talk to people about it. Here's the thing. I'll never forget, if you recall two weeks ago, I shared about a, a young lady who came forward and gave her heart to Christ. And I told her not to preach to her husband, but just to love him and invite, just be kind to him. But don't preach at him and don't give him a hard time because he doesn't come to church. And she practiced that. Remember I said that man got saved in three months. Give his heart to Christ. It's amazing that God brought that to my mind uh, because I remembered the story of Alan and how it was a Christmas pageant put on by children 
and it had been put together, and it was just a really incredible thing. And and when we got when the children got through, I got up and shared what it meant for Christ coming at Christmas and why He came. And and I basically talked about seven minutes, and I said, if you would like to trust Christ and receive Him into your life, you can do so tonight. And I simply asked them to, to if, they, if they would pray a prayer, and 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 uh, didn't ask anybody to come forward and. Didn't, you know, didn't do that. And, and I said, raise your hand. And if you just did that, because I'd like to celebrate, will you? And, and O'Allen raised his hand. And then when it's over, he came up and said, I'm going to be hanging around. If you want got any questions, come talk to me. And uh, he came up and said, I want you to know, I made a decision to trust Christ tonight. That's pretty cool. Alan's been here speaking about missionary trips to Africa. And God changed his life. But he had to open the door. You say, how important is that, Pastor? Because two weeks ago at the age of 56, with no signs of anything, he went to be with the Lord, fishing with his son. The pastor called me and said, I need you to tell me the story of Alan again and when he met Jesus. I said, oh, I'd love to tell that story. Because it's when his life changed. That's what Revelation 3.20 is all about. When I was, people were leaving this morning, the 8.30 service, one of the guys came by and said, you know, tell that verse. That's the verse that was shared with me when I gave my heart to Christ as a teenager. Wow. Pretty awesome. He knocks. Up to you to let him in. I can't make you. It wouldn't, wouldn't do any good if I made you. I, I, I just can tell you you ought to. Be the best decision you've ever made in your life.